0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Wenton, California. In your mind, what role should a pastor play in the life of a church? What role should a pastor play in the life of the church? If you were asked to create a job description for a new pastor in this church, what would that look like? How would that read? We're ringing up here. Can you turn us down just a tad? If you were tasked with drawing up a job description for the next pastor of the church, how would that read? To many Christians, a pastor is the man that stands in the pulpit once a week and preaches sermons. To some, he's a counselor that they can go to when they're hurting or when they're in need or when they need advice. Some people think of the pastor as a marketing tool. That's my pastor. And I go, to the past, I go to the church where he ministers, and you ought to go there too. Other people believe that the pastor directs the church's vision. He casts the vision of where he thinks the church should ultimately go, and he rallies the troops and the resources in order to move the church in that direction. Other people believe that he's the chief administrator and he is responsible for everything that goes on in the church, right or wrong, the buck stops here. But do these things really define a Christian pastor in the local church? Do they really define a Christian pastor in the local church? Now, it may surprise you, maybe it wouldn't, but it may surprise you that in most translations of the New Testament, the word pastor is used only once, only once. And that's in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 where the apostle Paul writes, and he gave some, that is to the church, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. The word translated pastors is the word poimen. And it really means shepherd. It's the word used in 29 other places where poimain is used in the New Testament. It's translated shepherd. Why is it translated pastor here? You'll have to ask the translators. Probably because here in this text, the pastor is uh, or the shepherd is a reference to the office that the individual holds. But only once in the New Testament is poimen translated pastor. The rest of the time, it's translated shepherd. So, if that's the case, then what is the pastor? Well, the word pastor comes from the Latin, which means shepherd. It comes from the Latin, which means shepherd. It's still the same word in the Greek, but it comes from the Latin. It's a carryover from the Roman Catholic Latin into the Evangelical Christian English. And so why do we call the chief leader of the church pastor? Well, it's because we've become accustomed to it. Uh, believe me, he's been called other things, but we won't go into that. But it's because we become accustomed to addressing the chief elder or the chief leader of the church as pastor. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, Poimain. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, again, poimane, gives his life For the sheep. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd, poimane, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And then Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 writes, Shepherd the flock of God, poimane. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now you could very well put in those places, pastor, but the word is poimain, shepherd. Why? Because that's what a pastor does. That's what a pastor is supposed to be. He is supposed to be a shepherd among God's people. Now the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter used other words to identify the chief leader in the local church and the more prominent word that is used is elder. Elder, the word presbyteros, the elder of the church. They also use the word bishop, and you have that here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Bishop, which is the word episkopos. But there is another word, and we've already talked about that, shepherd, poimen. Twice you'll find in the New Testament, the office of the overseer. You'll find that word in the New Testament, the overseer. But really, the word translated... Overseer is the word episkopos, bishop. So these words are used interchangeably uh, by Peter, by Paul, and by John when they talk about the chief leader of the local church. I want you to turn in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 that's way back in the back of the new testament first peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 first peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 Peter writes, The elders who are among you I exhort. I, who am a fo- fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. But being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. In these five verses, the Apostle Peter uses a number of these terms that we would consider to reflect the office of the pastor, as it is known today. The word elder refers to the leader of the church, while the words overseer and shepherd really describe his work in the church. That's how the apostle Peter uses those terms Even though in other places these terms are used to designate the office of the chief leader of the church. For the Apostle Paul, the word bishop and elder are synonymous. For the Apostle Peter, the word shepherd and elder are synonymous. And for the Apostle John, the word elder is used to designate the chief leader of the local church. And so in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with bishops and deacons. Now, you'll note that this letter is not written to a specific individual like the letters Paul wrote to Titus or Philemon or to Timothy. This letter is written to a church, the church in Philippi. Now, the church in Philippi was a small church. It was a small church. And it was made up of Jews and Gentiles that had believed in Jesus and received him as Lord and Savior of their lives. The Philippian church was also a poor church. They didn't have a lot of resources. As a matter of fact, the town of Philippi was a relatively small Town of about 10 to 15,000 people. A town of about 10 to 15,000 people. In the last census, our community here in Winton numbered about 11,000 people. So Philippi was a relatively small town compared to Fresno or Modesto or. Los Angeles or San Francisco. There were certainly larger cities and towns in the region. But this was a specific church that the Apostle Paul started and for three years built up into one of the churches that he loved the most. And we'll get to that in a moment. The saints in Philippi were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and they were very loyal to the Apostle Paul because they considered him to be not an apostle. And he doesn't address himself as the Apostle Paul. They considered him to be their father in the faith. There was a relationship between the Apostle Paul, and the Christians in Philippi that was more than just apostle, pastor, so on and so forth. He was their dearest friend and father in the faith. And this church found a very warm place in the Apostle's heart. They had a relationship that went beyond titles and went beyond the designation of an office. Paul loved this church. And many New Testament scholars believed that this was his favorite church. I want you to notice again in verse 1 that he writes to the saints in Philippi and to the bishops and deacons. To the bishops, plural, and to the deacons plural why would paul specifically address the bishops and the deacons in his greeting and you have to wonder why i did a long time ago in your reading in your reading of the other letters the apostle paul addresses the church at Rome to all who are in Rome beloved of God called to be saints to the Corinthians he wrote to the church of God which is at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints that's in the first letter and in the second letter he wrote to the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints who are in all of Achaia to the Galatian churches the apostle Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. In fact, only in the letter to the Philippians does the Apostle Paul include the bishops and the deacons in his greeting. And being the curious person that I am, I had to ask the question, why? Why? Of all of the letters that he wrote, to all of the churches that he wrote, why would he write to the Philippian church, to the saints, to the bishops, and to the deacons? Over the years, I've looked that question up and tried to find... In commentaries and blogs and uh, articles and so on and so forth, no one seems to address that question, even though it just kind of stands out to me. And so I believe the reason why the apostle included the bishops and the deacons in his greeting to the Philippian church is that he wanted to honor. He wanted to honor these men for their faithful service, their faithful ministry, their diligent work in making this small church a model of joy in Christ Jesus because that's what the letter is about. It's all about having joy in Christ Jesus. And this was the model church that exemplified what it meant to have joy in Christ Jesus. And the ones primarily responsible for that joy were the bishops and the deacons, the leaders of the church. This church though it was a poor church, supported the Apostle Paul, unlike many of the other churches who didn't support him at all. This church was going out into their small community and they were reaching Jews and Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church remained faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ when other churches were turning away from the faith. Paul had to rebuke the churches in Galatia for having turned away from Jesus Christ. Following fables, they had been bewitched, he said. The Corinthian church was filled with immorality, with factions. The church in Corinth was a mess. People didn't get along. It wasn't a fellowship that was united in Jesus Christ. They weren't united in the Holy Spirit. They were doing their own thing. But this church, the Philippian church... Maintained a unity in spirit and a focus on the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, this was a church that was firing on all cylinders. They were doing what a Christian church was supposed to be doing. Now Paul used... Here in this greeting, Paul used the word bishops the same way we use the word pastor. But I want you to note it's plural. He doesn't say to the bishop and deacons. He says to the bishops, plural, and deacons. These were the elders or the shepherds of the church, the bishops. We'll talk about the deacons next week. We'll focus our attention this morning on the bishops or the elders. And the plural form indicates that there were multiple elders or multiple leaders in the fellowship at Philippi. There were several pastors that, over, that were overseeing the life and the ministry of the church. Now, in many instances... Today, you'll find that churches, our size or smaller, usually have one pastor. But in our church, we have four. We have three that are on staff, and we have one who has retired but continues to be an advisor to us in the work of the church, Chris Cook is one of our pastors in this church. Dave Benton is one of the pastors in our church. Joe Powell is one of the pastors of the church, and I am one of the pastors in the church. Pastor Chris, Pastor Dave, and myself, we are all on staff as pastors. We are Licensed, we are ordained, and we are recognized by the church as being leaders in this church. So we have bishops, we have pastors, we have three who are chief leaders in the fellowship. But while that may identify the position, it doesn't really explain what our tasks and responsibilities are. So what is a pastor supposed to do? A lot of people think that a pastor does what he wants to do. Or a pastor does what he likes to do. Or he focuses in on a specific area of ministry. Some pastors are evangelistic. Some pastors are mission-minded. Some pastors are uh, teacher, pastor-teachers. There are pastors that are administrators. There are pastors that are singers, musicians. And, And then there's me. You know? And there's Chris. And there's Dave. What are pastors supposed to do? What is a biblical pastor, what is a Christian pastor really all about? If you were to draw up a job description of what a pastor should be in the local church, again, what would it look like? I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, a very... Uh, familiar passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. The New Testament church was just getting its feet under it. It was just getting the motivation of ministry behind it, but a problem came up. Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. A Hellenist is a Greek individual, Greek-speaking, out of the Greek culture, but Christian here. The Hebrew Christians by the Greek Christians because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution of resources that were coming in to the church. So, the complaint was that the widows of the Greek section of the church were being ignored. They were being overlooked. Then the twelve, that would be the apostles of the church, the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The issue came up. There's a problem in the church. People are being neglected. People are being ignored. They're being passed over in the daily ministry, in the daily administration of resources. And so the apostles said, will you choose seven individuals filled with the spirit of good report, so on and so forth, to tend to this matter. We will continue to pray and we will continue to minister the word. Well, you would all expect the pastor to be a prayer warrior. You would expect your pastor to pray for you, not only as a group, but also as individuals. And not just because you may be having problems uh, or issues or conflicts, but you would expect your pastor to pray for you, that God would use you, that God would strengthen you, that God would encourage you through His Holy Spirit to be all that you can be in His kingdom. That is... uh, uh, That's an unsaid expectation. But what is the ministry of the Word? And what is it that pastors do in order to minister the Word? Well, you would expect the pastor, first of all, to study the Bible. Would you not? Would you expect your pastor to study the Bible? That's part of the ministry of the Word, is to study the Scripture and to diligently study the Scripture. But he's also supposed to minister the Word. Studying the Word of God takes time. It takes effort. It takes the marshalling of your mental, intellectual faculties as well as your spiritual faculties to be able to read, to study, to understand what the Word is saying and what the Word means. And that takes discernment from the Holy Spirit. We, are, we study the Word of God, we open the Bible, but we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through His Word to show us what it is that God is actually saying to us. That's one part of ministering the Word. But there is another part Of ministering the word and that is the application of what God is saying to his own life and to the lives of his people and for that I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20 Acts chapter 20 verses 17 to 35 now don't groan when I tell you that in Acts chapter 20 verses 17 to 35 the Apostle Paul Outlines 15 tasks and responsibilities that a pastor has in ministering the Word of God to the people he shepherds. And we're going to go through all 15 of them. Okay? Good, I didn't hear any groans. Look at Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 35. For Miletus, he being Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So the, uh, the Apostle Paul had come to um, Miletus and he sent word out to the church at Ephesus, I want the pastors of the church to come and meet with me. The elders of the church, I want them to come and meet with me. And they had come to him, he said to them, you know... From the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ." And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may Finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, You yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now in these verses, there are 15 tasks and responsibilities that the Apostle Paul alludes to in his ministry at the Ephesian church. And they should be the tasks and the responsibilities that every leader in every Christian church should aspire to. And it should be the same tasks that every believer in the Christian church should desire that his pastor should aspire to. And so let's walk through them very quickly. First of all, he says in verse 18, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. The first thing that a pastor is supposed to address is the needs of his people. And he cannot do that if he does not know his people. And he cannot know his people unless he dwells Among them, unless he dwells among them. Ministers, pastors, do not live, are not supposed to live, in ivory towers. Secluded from the congregation, isolated from the congregation. Pastors are to know their people. And they are to minister to their people. But they cannot if they are not living among their people. I know a church not a thousand years ago or a million miles away. Where the parsonage where the pastor lived was right across the street from the church. And there were individuals who saw the pastor's car in the parking lot when he was at the church. And there were some who were very critical of the pastor because he wasn't out visiting people. He was there at the church in his office doing God knows what. He should be out there ministering to the people. He should be out there talking to people. And then there were others, when the pastor's car was not in the parking lot at the church, criticized him for never being in the church when they dropped by to talk to him. Never being at the church, studying the word of God and praying like he should be. Pastors should be doing both. We should be in prayer constantly, yes. We should be studying the Word of God, yes. But we also need to live among our people. Be where our people are. Getting to know our people, knowing their needs, so that through the Word of God we can address those needs with His truth. Number two, in verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. The word serve means to minister. It means to attend to. It means to care for. But we are to do that in all humility. Humbleness, lowliness of mind and of spirit. There is no room in a pastor's life or in a pastor's ministry for arrogance, for pride, or for the spirit of a dictator. Lowliness of mind, lowliness of spirit, humble before the Lord and humble before the Lord's people. Now, Moses is my favorite Old Testament person. I, I idolize Moses. He was a very powerful man. He was a very bold individual. He was afraid of no one. He, he served the Lord and he did as the Lord commanded him to do. He was the epitome of what a pastor should be. But scripture tells us in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 that the man Moses was very humble. More than all men who were on the face of the earth. And when you examine the life of Moses, particularly after his call to deliver the Hebrew people from Egypt, when you look at his boldness, when you look at his lack of fear in facing Pharaoh, when you look at how he dealt with the elders of Israel, questioning his authority over them, you realize that these things did not come from a spirit of arrogance and pride. These things came from his humbleness before the Lord. It was the Lord speaking through him. It was the Lord working through him. It was the Lord's power that was flowing through him to accomplish the task that God had called him to do. In Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 The scripture tells us that Jesus was a man gentle and lowly in heart. And yet, look at the power, look at the authority that Jesus had in his ministry. It did not come from the flesh. It came from the Spirit of God in him. Albert Barnes writes, For all who are endowed with talents and learning, who enjoy success in their work, the end result of the pastor will be humble service. Humble service. Number three, in verse 19, With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, it describes a compassionate and a tender heart. A compassionate and tender heart. When you read those words, Paul talks about weeping. He talks about shedding tears. And we would think that's very uncharacteristic of the Apostle Paul. He was a man who was very strong. He was a man who was very um, confident and very sure we would not think of Paul. And we do not think of Paul as being an individual who would shed tears. Because many people think shedding tears is a sign of weakness. But the Apostle Paul, as strong and as powerful and as forthright as he was, was a man of a compassion and tender heart. His desire was to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews, his kinsmen. And a number of those Jews came to faith in Jesus Christ, but many of them persecuted the Apostle Paul. And what was his attitude? Oh, well, forget them let them go God will deal with them in eternity no when people rejected the gospel that he shared with them when they rejected when they refused it it broke his heart and he wept tears for the lostness of their soul for the hardness of their heart for the blindness the spiritual blindness of their eyes. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 36. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. People. And their lostness affected Jesus powerfully. And he was moved with compassion upon these people because they were lost. And I still believe, my friends, even to today, I still believe that a lost soul is a damned soul. And that a lost soul that goes into eternity without Jesus Christ will spend forever in a place called hell. Separated from God. No relief. No release. That should break the heart of the minister of the church. To know that there are people in the congregation who are there for other reasons than to worship the Lord Jesus Christ because they're lost they have no relationship with the Lord how can they worship him before he was arrested and crucified Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of the hardness of their hearts and because of their spiritual blindness number four in verses 20 and 21 The Apostle Paul says, I was evangelistic among you. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There was one thing and one thing only in the mind of Paul whenever he ventured to a new place, and that was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with whomever would listen to him. And he didn't pull punches. He didn't sugarcoat. He didn't water it down. He demanded that if individuals were going to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they must acknowledge that they are sinners, they must confess that sin, they must repent of that sin, and they must believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Today we don't talk about repentance much. Today we don't talk about sin very much. But unless we acknowledge sin, and unless we repent of sin, we can never know the Lord Jesus Christ. He was evangelistic. He spoke to Jews and to the Greeks. He spoke to anyone and everyone. Male, female, adult, youth, child. He spoke to leaders as well as servants. He spoke to business owners as well as those who frequented those businesses. He was evangelistic. Five He was willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. In verses 22 and 23, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul didn't know what lay ahead of him. But that didn't concern him. because his trust was in Jesus Christ and he knew whatever it was he was going to face it had to go through the Lord Jesus Christ first now you know we've been through and we're still going through pandemic and in the initial days of the pandemic we decided as leaders in the church to honor the instructions of our civic leaders and to suspend meeting in the sanctuary for a while because we were with the understanding that the pandemic was only going to last for a while. But as things continued to drag on and as we began to see how uh, things were being manipulated Things were be, we were being <clears throat> led down a primrose path in a lot of ways. We decided to come back together and to join together in worship. First outside and then inside. There were individuals who asked, "'Well, aren't you afraid?' that you're going to be arrested and put in jail because you're defying the orders of the state. Well, we understood that that was a very real possibility. But we were not going to fear that. And we were not going to allow that to dictate to us what we believe the Lord God wanted us to do as servants in his church. Number six, in verse 24, none of these things moved me. None of these things concerned me, Paul says, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race. That is the calling of God on my life with Joy. None of these things moved me, nor did I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Be selfless. Notice what he says here. I count, nor did I count my life dear to myself. Leaders in the fellowship of God's people are to be selfless. We are to sacrifice ourselves for the good of God's people. Sometimes it means staying up late with an individual who is in a crisis. Sometimes it means going to the hospital at an inopportune time. Sometimes it means giving up a scheduled dinner or a scheduled outing because of a crisis that has arisen in one of the families in the church. Sometimes it means canceling a vacation because the church is going through a situation that the pastors need to address. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to be selfless. We're called to minister to the people of the Lord rather than to minister to ourselves despite the people of the Lord. The main focus of the leaders of the church is to remain steadfast to our commitment to fulfill our calling in Christ Jesus. Worldliness abounds in the church, but it cannot abide in the heart or in the life of its ministers. We must forsake the things of the world in order to minister to the things of God and to God's people. Number seven. Verse 25, and indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. We are to know God's plan for our lives, and we are to know God's timing in our lives, to be able to go where the Lord wants us to go and to stay where the Lord wants us to stay and to not linger in any place because of people, and to not go from any place because of people. I made that mistake twice in my ministry, refusing to go where I knew the Lord wanted me to go because of friends that I had in the church where I was serving, and it turned out disastrously We do not go, and I've counseled with other individuals who have surrendered to pastoral ministry under our ministry here at the church. And one of the things that I stress to them is that your focus is on the Lord. Your ministry is to the Lord through His people. But you do not go where people tell you to go, and you do not do what people tell you to do. You are the servant of the Lord. He called you, He equipped you, And he's placed you in the place where he wants you to be. And you stay there. And you do what the Lord wants you to do until he calls you someplace else. Number eight, be faithful. Be faithful. Verses 26 and 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. We all have our sugar sticks. I've known, I've known preachers all of my life, and I've known some pastors to stay about two or three years in a church and then move on to another church. Why? Because that's all the sermons they had. When they have preached through their two or three years of sermons, then it was time to move on. They had their sugar sticks. They had their reliable texts. Paul says, when I was with you, I gave you the whole counsel of God. I gave you the Old Testament. Of course, the New Testament wasn't written back then. But I gave you the whole word of God. The blessings of God and the cursings of God. I gave you the easy things that God has spoken and the hard things that God has spoken. I didn't hold anything back. We preach, we teach, and we minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone that the Holy Spirit leads us to minister to. We don't hold anything back, or we ought not to hold anything back. If they believe and are saved, we give the glory to God. If they reject our witness, we do not blame ourselves, we do not blame the Lord. We simply realize that the people we're dealing with are spiritually blind. And then in their heart, they're lost. But we do not shrink back from calling sin, sin. And for calling people to repentance. In the only provision that God has made for our salvation, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 28, the ninth task is to give encouragement, to give encouragement. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Shepherd the church of God. I understand that to mean or to include encouragement. And the word encouragement simply means to strengthen, to build up. To encourage someone is to give them hope, it's to give them courage, it is to strengthen them in their spirit. We are to encourage others to be faithful to the Lord in all that Jesus Christ has saved them and called them to do. We are to equip the saints, as the Apostle Paul writes, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, that is a whole, a complete person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Our ministry is to encourage you to be better than what you are in Christ Jesus. Our ministry is to help you see that there is a bigger picture that you need to grasp how God can use you in areas that you haven't explored, haven't even considered before, to help you discover what it is that God really wants you to do. I am sure that there are, there is, there are people among us here this morning, you don't have an idea what God's will for your life is. You do not know what God has saved you to do. You may say, well, he saved me to go to heaven. Not so, dear friends, if he saved you to go to heaven, you'd have died the moment you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He left you here because there are things that he wants you to do in his kingdom. What are those things? Well, I don't have a clue. We're here to help you understand those things. We're here to help you search the heart and the mind of the Holy Spirit to discover those things. Number ten, warn the church of false preachers and teachers. Look at verse 29. For I know this that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. John writes in first John chapter 2, verse 18: Little children, it is, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour. Who are these people? Well, they're the Jim Joneses, and the David Koreshes, and the Sun Young Moons. Back in the 1970s, I took a course in college it was a class on the cults. And one of the appalling statistics that we learned back in the 70s was that over 70% of the people who make up the cults we are talking across the board. Over 70% of the people who, who join cults come from mainline evangelical churches. I don't know what the statistic is today. But 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 70% of the people sitting in pews like you're sitting in today left and joined Antichrists, cults. These are individuals, Paul says, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They tantalize you. They tempt you. They promise you things that they can never deliver. Mama used to say they would promise you the moon and take you there and leave you behind because that's what they do. They get from you all that they can get from you. And when they're done with you, they leave you to your spiritual emptiness. Number 11, purify and cleanse the fellowship. You find this in verse 30. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. There are not only wolves on the outside wanting to get in, there are wolves on the inside. And the Apostle Paul said, I was with you all of these years to show you what it means to be a true Christian and to identify those who are false. There are individuals, and we have them mentioned here in our New Testament, seven churches of the Revelation. There were churches. There was a church that left off loving Jesus. There was a church that allowed non-Christian pastors and teachers. There was a church that was following after pagan practices. Paul wrote a letter to one church in 1 Corinthians. He wrote the letter to the church there because people were allowing immorality to run rampant. And the elders of the church did nothing about it. They wouldn't address it. Paul says it's the responsibility of the leaders of the church to purify the church, to cleanse the fellowship from people who would infect it with sin and would lead people astray in that fellowship. Number twelve, be alert to Satan's method and minister's. Look in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. We are to sound the alarm when we are aware of a new method or a new ministry that Satan is devising to infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ. We are to be able to discern what is true and what is not true that's going on in religious circles in our culture. And we're to warn the church to steer clear of those things if they're not of God. It's a part of the responsibility of church leaders to warn God's people about Satan's methods and his ministers. Number 13, we're to equip the saints for ministry and then we're to let them minister. Look at verse Thirty-two. So now, brethren, I, command, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. To equip, originally meant to mend or to repair. The church is supposed to be about that as well. There are people who come to the church hurt, spiritually hurt, There are people who come to the church because they are outcast from another fellowship that they were a part of. There are people who come to the church who are broken morally, broken spiritually. There are people who come to the church because they have been abandoned. And a part of the ministry of the church is to help bind up those wounds and to help people heal from the abuse not only of the abuse that Satan has uh, uh, subjected them to out in the world, but also from the abuse of other so-called churches. But then the word equip came to mean to furnish or to make complete. And again, that's a part of the responsibility of the leaders of the church to help you become all that you need to be, all that God wants you to be in His kingdom. And then, not only to discover those areas of service that God is calling you to do, but also to release you to those areas of service. We are to equip the saints for ministry and then we're to allow them to minister. A number of years ago, I was asked to preach the ordination service of a young man who had surrendered to preach in another church in another town. And in the address to the young man, I gave him... These 15 things. But in my address to the church, I encourage that church to recognize the calling of God in that man's life. To recognize the spiritual giftedness in that man's life. To recognize how God has equipped that person to be their pastor. And then I encourage them to let him go and do the work that God has called him to do. So many ministers, so many pastors come to a church and are strangled by the church because the church wants them to function a specific way, to do certain things And the minister is never allowed to be what God called him, equipped him, and gifted him to do. Paul says, equip the saints for ministry and then let them ministry. So now, brethren, I commend you to God. I let you go. I release you to do what God has called you to do back in the church. Number 14, serve with no thought of reward. And this is a tough one for modern-day ministers. Serve with no thought of reward, verses 33 and 34. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were there with me. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, the apostle Paul tells Timothy that a minister is worthy of double honor. And he quotes the Old Testament by saying that the laborer is worthy of his wages. And I thank God that I've not had to be concerned about that in this fellowship. But what the Apostle Paul is alluding to here, and what I would encourage you to understand about ministers in the church, is that we need to be and we ought to be willing to do pro bono work. We should be able to sit down with our people and counsel. We need to be able to sit down with our people who are grieving. We need to be able to render services to our people without expecting reward. I was never so angry in all of my life when a pastor in a church not a thousand years ago or a million miles away from here said that he would not do a funeral service unless he was paid at least $350 per service. Paul says, we should covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. We should not expect people to pay us for services rendered. If they do, then that's a blessing that God has placed upon their heart and we receive the blessing gladly. But it should never be an expectation. It should never be an expectation. And then the last one. Finally, the last one. In verse 35. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and you must remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive pastors are supposed to be charitable and generous I know a pastor who never tithed and who never gave an offering and I asked him why And he said, well, I'll just be paying my own salary. (laughs) You know, what's up with you, man? Where did you get that? We need to be charitable and generous in our charity. Give to others over and above a tithe if you give a tithe over and above what you give to the church, we need to be charitable to those who are in need, especially to the saints. These are the 15 tasks and responsibilities that the Apostle Paul said, when I was with you for three years, Ephesus, when I was with you, these are the things that I was about. This is what I did. And you need to remember these things because I'm not going to be with you anymore. These are the things that all pastors should be about. Now, many churches are becoming apostate today because their leaders are apostate, if they ever were Christian to begin with. They're ignoring the word of God. And what I hear and what I see among a lot of ministers nowadays, they pick and they choose what they want to be. And they pick and choose how to conduct their ministry. And I hear that a lot. I choose what my ministry is going to be. And I conduct my ministry the way I see fit. Well, beloved, we're not here to do our ministry. We're here to do the ministry of the Lord. And we're to do it according to His Word. We are to understand what His Word says. True ministry is really all about and we need to embrace that or we need to get out of the position. It is not our ministry. It's the Lord's ministry. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. We are just under-shepherds. I spoke to you, and I'll close. I spoke to you of the time I surrendered to the Lord's call to vocational pastoral ministry. I was 17. That was 50 years ago now. I wanted to go back to Arkansas and I wanted to find Pastor Ford Gant, who had been our pastor for a number of years. And he was an elderly man then. And I wanted to tell him of the Lord's call in my life. And after we had spoken for a while, and I'll never forget it, he said... Pastoring a church is a happy, hard life. It is a happy, hard life. And he was right. After 50 years of ministry, his words were prophetic. Nancy and I have served the Lord in five churches, three of them as pastor. We've been appreciated and we've been repudiated. We've been loved, and we've been hated. Yes, hated. We've been welcomed, and we've been rejected. But I've never been fired from a church, and I've never been asked to leave a church. But the Lord has moved us from one church where I pastored for 18 months and from another church where I pastored for five years. And we've been privileged to serve here in this fellowship 35 years last Sunday. In this fellowship, we've known happy times And we've known times of heartache. We've been delighted and we've been disappointed. We've seen the church grow to great heights. But we've also been here when the church hit rock bottom. Some people have come into the fellowship because they said the Holy Spirit of God dwells here. Other people have left this fellowship because they said the Holy Spirit is not here at all. But looking back over the years, I can honestly say that God has sustained me through all that we have gone through and that His Holy Spirit has maintained His joy In my heart, nothing gives me greater spiritual joy than to serve the Lord in his church. It has been and it will continue to be a happy, hard life, as Pastor Gant observed. And what now? The Apostle Paul asks Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice, yes, and will continue to rejoice. We're going to take a moment of prayer as we prepare ourselves for communion. If you have not received the elements, they are there in the foyer. You may go and get the cup, if you will. Father, I ask that as we approach the table, we remember you were willing, Lord, to minister to us. And you gave your life so that we who are dead in trespasses and sins could be made alive through your sacrifice. Remind us, Lord God, that this observance is more than historical. It is also contemporary. For when we take the bread and when we take the cup, we are committing ourselves to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, to serve you as you would have us to, not only as leaders in the church, but also as the laity of the church, those who follow, those who are disciples. And remind us, Lord God, that our lives are to be a sacrifice to you and to your people so that together we can take the gospel of Jesus Christ to this community. Together we can enhance the work of the kingdom of God in this place. Together we can weep over lost souls and we can rejoice when souls are born into the kingdom of God. To this end, Lord Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org. O-R-G